It's a real good one. Before we get started today, I have a couple of things I want to let you know about. First of all, <clears throat> I really do love our church family. I, and some of you have been gone for a long time because of everything happened with the COVID and all that kind of stuff. And so I saw several of you back this week. It's so good to see all of you. Um, on November 28th starts the week of Advent, and we're going to do the Lord's Table that day. The reason we do the Lord's Table differently here at Grace Life is we feel like it should not be something that surprises anyone that walks in the door. We'd like you to know ahead of time, at least two weeks, you can prepare your heart, your mind, clear out your schedule, make sure you allow nothing to get in the way of being here to celebrate the image of the Lord's Table with us. <clears throat> That's November 28th. Also, a quick shout out. I think we got some people in the live stream lounge upstairs in the 1900 building. You guys are there in the live stream rounds. We're watching you. We're watching you. You think you're watching us. No, we. <clears throat> All right. Um, we're continuing our series on 1 Peter. This is week number 15, and I've entitled this Remember the Cross. Yes, it's the same title as the series, and it's for a reason because the next two messages are kind of like the climax of this whole 1 Peter buildup. And after 14 weeks in 1 Peter, we've heard things about the priesthood, its proclamation, integrity, and industry. We've heard about each priest, if they're going to fulfill those roles of proclamation, integrity, and industry, we're going to have to be zealous for good. We're going to have to always be ready, and we must be willing to pursue peace no matter what. We heard about what it meant to pursue Zoe, real life over bios, which is just anything that helps you breathe, and about how bios is always screaming for our attention, but zoe is where the real fulfillment. When Jesus said, if anyone who seeks life more abundantly, this is the place you get it, that was the word zoe. And I don't know about you, but after 14 weeks, if you're like me at all, you've been deeply challenged about how seriously you take your responsibilities as a royal priest. I know I have. I mean, always proclaiming, <clears throat> living with integrity and industry, always passionate, ready, and gentle, always seeking peace. Do you feel some frustration, like me, over the inconsistencies in your life and these daily spiritual responsibilities? How hard it really is? Like me, do you struggle with other passions? constantly competing or interfering with your priesthood? Do you see daily patterns in your life, habits that undeniably reveal you're kind of lazy when it comes to being a priest? I know I've had that sense. That it really doesn't take too much to come up with an excuse for us, especially as American Christians. Late night, bad weather, too stressed, all types of things sideline us in the priesthood as we pursue bios over Zoe. So the question becomes, yes, we've heard all these things and we know what we're supposed to do, but how can we be more consistent in setting these other passions that dominate our natural hearts and minds aside? For me, I've had to realize that my zealousness comes much easier from my earthly passions than my kingdom ones. So as I'm writing this sermon, I always do a word check. I, I check for any words that I'm overusing in my sermon, and I try to come up with different words so I don't bore you to death. On Friday, I did a search. The word passion or passions showed up 53 times in this message. 
I thought, there's no, I, can't, I cannot come up with enough synonyms <laughs> to take care of that. <laughs> but then I realized there's a reason for that, because this passage is tied directly to chapter 3 when Peter said, be zealous for good. Zealous, passionate, even to death. That's what the word zealous meant. So how can we make sure our passions, there's number four, how can we make sure our passions are kingdom first so that we can have daily victory in this struggle? 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> since therefore Christ suffered, and since therefore is referring back to what we learned about last week, this incredible victory, remember where Jesus was bragging to the fallen angels? Yo, guys, you've been defeated, your eternal toast, remember that. If you haven't heard it, you need to go back and listen to it to really understand this week's message. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. In other words, pagan passions have had enough of your life. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And then they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So let's look at the historical side of this passage today. What, is, what about man? What does he do? And why and how does he do it? I want you to see that these believers, and as we know, we've talked about this, but I'm going to give you a few more details. They are surrounded by evil. It is, in fact, a wretched society. As bad as you think, as spoiled American Christians, as bad as we think culture is today, the culture that Peter's readers lived in was far much worse than ours in every area. Politically, the atmosphere wasn't annoying or hypocritical. It was lethal. It was oppressive. Violent full of rebellious people like the zealots. Remember, we learned about them a few weeks earlier. It was a daily game of life and death for them. Morally, things, even today, there are some things morally we consider taboo. They were fully accepted and embraced and celebrated. Slavery, human trafficking, shameless, violent immorality toward others. As far as society goes, lawlessness, even though it was the Roman Empire, you'd think there'd be a law and order, lawlessness was rampant. <clears throat> Thievery, violence, and Rome didn't care as long as the rich paid their taxes to Caesar. If you were someone without money or any type of station in life, good luck getting any justice of any type if you were a victim of this lawlessness. It was more like law enforcement wasn't really existent. It was more like, I call it law management. You report a crime, yep, you're right, that was rape, that was robbery, duly noted, good luck. That was really what law enforcement was, unless, of course, you had money and knew somebody in power, then you could get retribution. And that's the society they're facing. But Peter says, for the rest of the time in the flesh, before conversion, <clears throat> all of Peter's readers were victims of and participants in most all of these things. They are still surrounded by them daily with their family, their masters, their employers, the government, everything 
Their old friends, families, and associates are constantly calling them back to the old way of living. Forget that stuff with Jesus. It's a waste of time. Enjoy your life while you can. We can relate to that a little bit today, right? Being surrounded by a culture that is antithetical to life that we desire to live as followers of Jesus. Yet Peter commands them to abandon these old passions and priorities for the rest of their life on earth. Peter makes it very clear they cannot afford to return to those sinful passions. The kingdom stakes at the early stages of the Christian church are too high. There's no room for error. Rome wants to wipe them out. Society wants to take advantage of them. Forces of darkness that we talked about last week despise their very existence. <clears throat> Therefore, everyone, all of them, from the greatest to the least, must zealously pursue their new calling as royal priests. For the rest of their lives, they will wage a daily battle against those former passions, a battle they cannot afford to lose. So that's the history. Look at the spiritual this week, the theological. What about God? What does he do? I've entitled this section, Armed and Ready. So since therefore, it starts off with this. <clears throat> this is the level of commitment Peter demands of them as followers of Jesus, as royal priests. There is no halfway. A lot of American Christians are halfway. But for them, they could not afford to be like most American Christians are today. Always distracted, half interested, half committed. For them to do this, <clears throat> to wage this battle daily and be successful, they need a way of thinking, as Peter puts it, have this way of thinking that is more powerful than the daily temptations that surround them. And he starts off with the word, since therefore, which means that since therefore means there is a clear grammatical connection to the previous passage, which was a description of the victory of the cross. But not just the victory of the cross. What happened at the cross? Christ also suffered. And as Peter says in this passage, suffered in the flesh, which is really just a fancy way of saying he died. Christ suffered once for all, and through that he wins a cosmic, majestic, victorious moment in history over evil. And just as Jesus suffered in the flesh, meaning death, they must have a way of thinking that is willing to go just as far as Jesus did. <clears throat> and why would they be willing to do such a silly thing? Because through the gift of faith, they know where the true victory is, even in their death. So he says to arm yourselves. The Greek word is hoplizo. It means to supply yourself with weapons. It doesn't mean just pick up a gun. It means supply yourself with weapons. Success in this daily battle that they're about to embark on will require being armed with a way of thinking before those former passions show up and distract them. That way of thinking is the weapon that Peter says they need. And what is that weapon? It is simply remembering the cross, the example of Jesus in his death, victory, and resurrection. When conflicting passions surround them, look back. Remember how far Christ went, how much your sin cost him. 
But of course, when you look back at the cross, it's much more than just a reminder of his suffering. It's also a reminder of his declaration of victory over evil. If you missed that last week, again, you got to go back to the archives where we studied the details of his stunning victory proclamation. He says, arm yourself, take up weapons that are the same way of thinking. What thinking? The way Jesus was thinking when he was proclaiming victory. The way he was thinking when he said, it's worth my suffering on the cross, even to death. Understanding, trusting, and embracing that that victory is where their motivation to abandon the old passions will come from. A way of thinking prepared to give it all up even to suffer in the flesh or die, as Jesus did because of this victory. And the, and the result of picking up this weapon is this, that they will be strange people. This Greek word, astonished by the novelty of a thing, being willing to die for a spiritual cause, was a strange thing in those days. I mean, many people were willing to die there for a political movement, a patriotic movement. They were willing to die for fighting for their self and their own personal rights, but to die for a spiritual cause with some sort of eternal promise, that was lunacy. As a matter of fact, Paul says when the world looks at it, they should be astonished. It's sort of like a puppy when they turn their head. You're doing what? He says, as they arm themselves with this weapon, this way of, think this way of thinking, something beautiful will happen. The hearts and minds of these believers will be transformed through the baptizma, remember that word we talked about a few weeks ago? The immersion of God's covenant promise to give them different passions and different values. These new passions, these new values will be so different, the world will be astonished by the irrational zealousness for spiritual eternal good. Those who were willing to go that far Usually, as I said earlier, we're motivated by patriotism or self-preservation, kind of this fight or flight. But their commitment to love and peace must be so absurd, so insane, so ridiculous, that they become to the world around them a very confusing oddity. From the immoral to the religious self-righteous, all of them should look at their lives as being so different that they are baffled by why we would do it. This is essentially the battle Peter wants them to be ready for, to arm themselves for. They need to be ready. They need to be willing to turn their back on all the things competing for their allegiance to Jesus. Which brings us to the... Per I know you guys want to keep looking at that puppy, but we got to go on. The personal section. What about us? What are we supposed to do? I want to talk about competing passions. Yeah, you knew I was going to go there. Here was the sermon preview this week. What's the Christian's best weapon in the daily battle against passions which distract us from kingdom service? You know, I got a lot of good answers this week. The answers I got were, were decent, and, but they were typical 
American Christian answers. Most were like, you know, time in God's word, daily prayer, put on the full armor of God. And I get that, but for Christians in Western culture, that's good. But these first century brothers and sisters in Christ didn't have God's word. They didn't have time to pray. There was no New Testament. There was no printing press, no Bible app. They were still using flip phones. No. Just... Even the Old Testament for a pagan Gentile who becomes a believer, even the Old Testament was not easily accessible. So what do they do? What's their best weapon? It can't be the written word of God, which we frankly take for granted a lot, don't we? based upon how much we read it versus how much we spend time on our other passions. Each day for them was simply a struggle to survive, literally, <clears throat> to get their daily bread or evade people who wanted to kill them for their faith or exploit them for their weaknesses. But there are these subtle pagan passions. Paul wrote about the same things that Peter did, by the way, this list of pagan passions to turn their back on, but he actually expanded the list, and it's a little concerning. Galatians 5, 19 to 20, and then I go to verse 24. <clears throat> now the works of the flesh are evident. This list sounds a lot like Peter's. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, but then he goes on to some other ones. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, and things like these. <laughs> it's a little bit of a problem. Then verse 24, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. <clears throat> so why does Peter and Paul list all this stuff? Because they're trying to show the contrast of life before and after Jesus. Now, our first reaction is that we nod in agreement. Yes, right, no sorcery, right? You would all agree with that? Easy. <laughs> I got no problem turning my back on sorcery. <clears throat> no immorality, no orgies, no drunken parties. All that stuff is shameful. No place in the Christian life. We get all that. But what about the rest of those pagan passions that he lists? What about those competing passions that are, frank, a little more subtle, a little more internal? Let me read them again for you. I know you're dying to hear them again. Enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, rivalries, dissensions, division. These are also pagan passions. Ironically, our fight is probably easier in the areas that are evidently sinful than it is with things like strife, jealousy, anger, dissensions, divisions, right? But see, this isn't about moralism. It's not Peter saying, sin less, be good. It's about something much deeper, something far more challenging. These subtle passions are the ones that actually compromise our kingdom priorities more often, I think, than the obvious stuff. I mean, the obvious stuff does sometimes. Don't get me wrong. People fall in those areas. But these are ones that you're going to face tomorrow morning, especially if you have to commute to, down 41 to work. <laughs> Divisions, envy, strife, jealousy, that's a nice car. Stop cutting me off. All of it. It's just 
And it happens without you even realizing it. The abundance of these subtle pagan passions is a massive problem in the American church. Massive. I see them every day. They manifest themselves in politics, patriotism, cultural self-righteousness, our drive for personal success. Actually, you know what American Christians are really good at? We have convinced ourselves some of these subtle pagan passions are good kingdom passions. How sick is that? We spend more time in these passions and know more about them and proclaiming the virtues of these things more than we do proclaiming others the message of Jesus. This is what happens when you obsess over pagan passions more than the mindset of the cross, having this mind. Before you know it, you know what's happened? You've gone a day, days, weeks, maybe months without even thinking about the cross. Oh, I mean, you acknowledge the cross. You know it happened. You know it exists. And you know the gospel, all that stuff. But you don't really meditate on the cross. You don't really reflect on it. You don't remember, consider, and wonder in awe of what Jesus did for us. You know what it is? It's a result of some serious weak sauce related to our mindset for battle compared to what those first century brothers and sisters embraced. We're very soft. But there is, make no mistake, a daily fight. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4, I'm going to show you the first half of the passage and then preach a little bit and then give you the second half. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4, let's look at verses 1 through 2. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin, the ones we listed, which clings so easily, or so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Look, our lives simplified. You just really want me to break it down for you. This, everything that you do, even the complicated stuff, it really comes down to this. Every breath, which is bios, if you remember from a few weeks ago, if you don't remember, go back and look at the sermon, bios versus zoe. Every breath, bios, is a fight between pagan passions and zealousness for the kingdom, which is zoe. That's all life is for the Christian. Now, if you're not a believer, all you have is breaths for pagan passion. But if you're a child of God, your life is one breath after another of pagan passions fighting with kingdom passions. Paul says in Hebrews, we must lay aside every sin which causes a breath, bios, that competes with our kingdom passions, zoe. Well, that's a lot of passions. That's a lot of breaths. How can we even know when our passions have become pagan instead of kingdom? Well, I've got some telltale signs. Do they cause hypocritical priorities in your life? or hypocritical actions that are easily rationalized away as you pursue them? Do these passions compromise your readiness or commitment as a royal priest to proclaim and live with integrity and in industry? For example, how easy is it for you to come up with an excuse to forsake opportunities for service? 
Do these passions take up too much of your money, leaving you little to nothing left to be surprisingly generous with? Do these passions make you too tired or too stressed that you pass up opportunities to gather with your other fellow priests? If the answer to any of these things is yes, you, in fact, are in a battle and losing one with pagan passions. Pagan passions that are superseding your kingdom passions. Look what he says in verses 3 and 4. He says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Resisting to the point of shedding blood? In America, we barely resist to the point of sleep deprivation or a little rain. I mean, church, there must be evidence of little and big daily victories over your former passions. You must be able to point to some Our passion for the kingdom should win out so often that the world around you takes notice of the stark difference of your priorities. And we must arm ourselves with this mindset of the cross each day. That's why Jesus says, pick up your cross monthly? No. On Easter Sunday? No. When the weather's nice? No. Pick up your cross Daily and follow me. Remembering the cross keeps us humble. Humble enough to remember how much we need Jesus. Remembering the cross gives us wisdom to spot these sinful, competing pagan passions when they arise and when they creep in. Remembering the cross reminds us we have been set free from a pathetic life of depressing slavery to pagan passions. Remembering the cross fills us with a sense of gratitude, which leads to repentance, sacrifice, and service. Remembering the cross reminds us that this is an all-encompassing daily battle requiring vigilance renewed every morning. Remembering the cross is the best weapon for our daily battle with pagan passions. So why not start with it each day? Yes, even before your coffee, start with the cross. Develop the discipline that says, I am going to remember Christ's suffering and his victory as I fight my pagan passions off today, breath by breath. Having this mindset, Peter says, is what you need to arm yourself with. Jesus, we are so thankful for the cross. It's much more than a symbol. It's much more than something to help us recall important points. It is the very being of our existence. But Lord, we confess to you there are a lot of passions that we have 
Some of them seem good on the surface, but we, had, we confess they are pagan passions. They're taking up too much of our time, too much of our money, too much of our energy. God, you know, and Jesus, you know, because you came as a man, you know how hard it is for us. And that's why you give us the role of advocate to the Father to confess when we struggle. So, Lord, we don't want to leave here with guilt over how many times we struggle with these pagan passions. But we want to leave with a renewed vigor of understanding just how deep the battle goes. Lord, help us to arm ourselves with the same mind of Jesus on the cross. Lord, help us begin to be able to point to different examples, little and big, each day where we have said no to a former passion and yes to a new one, a new kingdom passion. Give us wisdom to know the difference between the two. Heavenly Jesus, we, we confess, particularly as American Christians, we are real weak sauce when it comes to this many times. We need your help. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, make the cross the forefront of our minds each and every morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Be ready for the battle. Arm yourself with this mind.